You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Our next guest is on a mission to see more female athletes achieve their full potential, both on and off the pitch. She is the founder of Sporting Sheroes, an organization that champions women in sports, and she helps athletes from grassroots to elite level to develop great sponsorship packages to fund their sporting careers. Karen Ramirez also consults for sports clubs and organizations to help them identify and coach women within their organizations for leadership and boardroom roles. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. And, and you know, I love women in sport beyond the hashtag. I love having you in our community so much. And I was just saying before the podcast started that it feels like we're friends uh, now because um, Karen was reading a book called The Miracle Morning by it's Hal, Hal Elrod. Hal Elrod and you yeah. recommended it to me and um, well you were just actually just saying in passing and then I was like that sounds amazing so then I read <laughs> it and it's like it's like our own little book club and it's freaking fantastic but yeah so, I, I would highly recommend it to anyone who who, who hasn't read it <laughs> it's I would a great as way well, to actually. start your day I would actually, actually recommend it especially to people who haven't who don't wake up early, for example, or who don't have like a morning routine or a routine. I think that book is very transformational and it's, yeah, yeah, highly recommended as well. But um, Karen, before we jump right into things, we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that? Yeah, that's good. Go for it. What's your favourite quote, expression or motto and why is it your favourite? I've got one that was used it's it's often credited to Nelson Mandela but in fact originally it was Marianne Williamson in her book Return to Love and the quote goes like this it says our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure it is our light not our darkness that most frightens us we ask ourselves who am I to be brilliant gorgeous talented fabulous. Actually, who are you not to be? You were a child of God and your playing small doesn't serve the world. And I love that quote because I think so many of us just think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not really sure that's for me. Why would someone choose me? People might think I'm getting a bit above myself. And I think this quote really sums it up. And if there is anyone that ever embodied that, I think Nelson Mandela was probably it. And he used it for his inauguration. It's so funny. Um, I was actually thinking of buying that book because um, it, it's, it's, I think it's the quote is from a, 
bigger body of work from a book and um yeah because because I absolutely love that quote and it's something that I was also because most of the time when you feel insecure you you're thinking that it's because you think you're not good enough and most of the time it is true but the flip side of it is that maybe your dream like you're just not giving yourself permission to accept that you are capable do you get what I mean? And I feel yeah. like that's something that I I've, I've been struggling with. So that's another thing that I'm gonna another book, second book that I'm gonna read. That <laughs> I'm a great book lover, Lorraine. I do love my books, both fiction and nonfiction. <laughs> you should start a book club because um, you have a very high success rate from just me. <laughs> <laughs> you love books, but you also love sports. So where did that love for sports begin? Can you take us right back to the beginning of when you? first fell in love with sports? I have always loved sports. Um, at school, I was in the hockey team and the netball team, but I was always a second team player. I was never really good enough to be on the top team, the first team. And you'll sort of hear further on as we go through some of the, the podcasts. I think, I think that's common for lots of people and there are problems around that um, in terms of your self-belief. But I started, as I say, at school with hockey and netball second team player and then when I was about 18 I worked in a local pub and one of the regulars came into the pub and he was fundraising to build a hospice and he said would I run a half marathon to raise money for it so I you know like I, one thing I am good at is saying yes and then considering the consequences of my response later but on this particular day I was really really fortunate as another regular was an experienced runner and he'd always run with Hash House Harriers in Jordan and he'd come back to the UK and he said well look Karen you know I'm, a, I'm an experienced runner if you like I'll train you so I thought well that's great if a little bit scary so we did start to train together and we ended up becoming really good friends we're still friends now although he now lives in the states and I'm in the UK but the really funny thing was that on that particular run at the at the grand old age of 18 as we came towards the end I realized I still actually had plenty left in the tank I, I had more energy so he'd obviously trained me really well so I put on a sprint and I actually because my friend wasn't expecting it I beat him which was then a source of great um Lots of banter over the years, really. And that moment definitely ignited a level of competitiveness in me. And a few years later, having introduced this friend to his his now wife, I was best woman at their wedding. And after all those years of dispute as to who, because it was very close when I when I sprinted, he realised what was happening, sprinted as well. But at his wedding, I was best woman. I was giving the speech and I actually managed to pull out an official photo from that very first half marathon that very clearly depicted me just ahead of Simon as we crossed the finish line. And that's where it started. And I've been been running and I, ever since. And, and I now play, um, I play hockey regularly and I swim and, and I just I just love sport. I do really love it. You're the first person I've spoken to who actually played netball because I I mean you were lucky you I mean you were more sort of um you were better than me at playing netball because you made it to the second team I did not even make any teams at all but I did dabble in a bit of netball so that's uh interesting that you are the first person that I've spoken to on the podcast that has actually played netball as well oh, I'm, I'm very short there I would never have made it as a you know as a professional netballer I'm I'm about five foot three 
Mm -hmm. And the netball girls generally tend to be quite a lot taller. Even in those days, they tended to be the taller girls that went on and were on the first team and went on from there. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. fun, though. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why they asked me to be in in, in uh, the netball, to, like to try out for netball, because I'm quite I'm quite tall for Botswana levels. I'm I'm 5'8" which is quite yeah. tall in Botswana. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I also tried basketball because I was considered tall. I tried volleyball, but I was just, yeah, it had to do with my sight. I, I don't have the best sight. So then um, that, that ah. really messes with your chances of being on a first team. But um, Karen, you work right from grassroots right to sort of like leadership and boardroom roles, equipping women for, for those roles. What made you choose to work with such a wide spectrum of ages instead of focusing on just one area? Let's start with the grassroots. And as with so many areas of work and life, there always has to be a day one over one day. And when I had my children, so often there was a huge amount of pressure on young people and on their parents to pay for more and more coaching, to keep pushing, to try and get them to the first team again. And this financial and performance pressure could either be too much for some of them or getting to the top level simply wasn't their objective. They wanted to play for fitness, for fun and for friendship. And they felt there wasn't a place for them or the coaches just weren't always that interested if that was their reason for playing. Now, my belief is that, yes, sport is competitive and we play to win. When I play hockey on a Saturday, I play to win. But I think equally important and what sometimes certainly in the UK we can lose sight of with our young people is the importance of teamwork, physical and mental health and inclusivity. And if additional funding is required to get more coaches, more facilities to do that, then I firmly believe that there should be and there is a sponsor for every athlete and for every team. When it comes to athletes that want to push further, either county, national or international level, the financial pressure is really substantial. So there was a, a study last year across multiple sports in the UK, and it the indication was that the average cost of playing at a higher level is £7,000 per year minimum, really. So that's about €7,800 or $8,500. Now, if you attend a private school that has phenomenal facilities and great coaching resources, that's great. But it's not a coincidence that the ratio of privately educated elite athletes is different to the ratio of the populace of students that attend private schools versus state education. Those that go to the private education establishments can afford the extra coaching as well. And those that don't probably can't afford it. So they end up doing what I call the coffee shop shift or the wine bar shift if they're over 18 which is going to impact on their energy, their time, their studies, their performance. And so that gap really widens. Nobody should be limited in achieving their sporting goals for financial reasons. But I think that some athletes feel that sponsorship is only for the very elite level. So people like the Emma Raducanu's or the Katarina Johnson Thompson's and so on. And it's not. So sometimes the athletes that get the best sponsorship in terms of the level that they're at are the ones that are prepared with a great sponsorship package and a short list of organisations that they can approach. And I do believe that you need to be winning off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Otherwise, the physical and mental toll can be too great to perform at optimum level. So our flagship programme, our Fund My Future programme, really addresses this. 
In terms of the board level and our boardroom Shiro's programme, all too often I hear comments from clients about a lack of equality for women's teams, which might go from which pitch they play on. You know, they always get the crappy pitch that is miles out of town rather than the prestigious first pitch or first court, or perhaps the equipment and funding that they receive. And I think greater diversity in senior management and boardrooms and leadership teams would really positively affect this. So in Boardroom Shiro's, what we do is we help clubs and organisations to take their rising stars and equip them with the skills and the confidence to apply for and then really deliver well in these senior roles. Parity on and off the pitch from entry level right the way through to senior leadership matters. And that's why I do what I do and why I do it over such a, a broad range of both sport and levels. And I'm sure from from all of that experience, you have had some amazing sort of rewarding experiences that that keep foiling you to to go forward and encouraging you to really give it your all in um, the space that you're working in. Um, do you have any stories that um, like what's been the most some of the most rewarding experiences you've had so far? Oh, there, there's so many, Lorraine. It's, it was really hard to pick just one. But um, I think one of my absolute favourites was one of the first athletes I worked with, who was a fantastic um, Paralympian called Bethy. And I worked with her during, well, before the London Olympics. And I met with her in 2011 to talk about sponsorship through a trade association that I was a chair of. She was a Paralympic hopeful, but obviously there were no guarantees in sports. At that point, she was waiting to qualify. And again, with sport, even if you qualify, and I've had this with, with, with other clients, you can qualify and then something happens maybe you get an injury and you can't compete I had a, a, another really lovely winter athlete last year who was ready to go to Beijing and she had a really bad injury uh, a head injury about three weeks before and had to pull out so there are no guarantees but with Bethy this this Paralympian we gave her a platform to speak on it was a big dinner of about 400 people and she she loved speaking we gave her a little bit of coaching to help her along and she was so good, she almost took the limelight from a very well-known household name in the UK, who was our keynote speaker. And as a result of that first speaking engagement, we went on to secure a lot more sponsorship because the people that were there really engaged with her, were really inspired by, by her. And then I went and watched her in the London Stadium win a bronze and a silver medal, which was fantastic. And even better when I step down, and this is what I mean by sort of experience and, and what happens both on and off the pitch. I stepped down as chair of this organisation and she came to speak at my leaving lunch at the House of Lords in London, which is hugely prestigious. And it just gave me so much joy to be able to facilitate that opportunity. And to this day, I, I feel so, so proud of what she achieved. Wow. And... From all that you've said, what what impact do you think you're hoping to to have um, today and maybe even in the future in the next four or five years? What's what what impact are you are you hoping to make? I think in the UK the media is slowly but surely giving women greater coverage, but our our national women's teams have achieved so much. Not just the Lionesses last year, but before them, the rugby teams, the cricket teams, the hockey teams. On the flip side, con player contracts and sponsorship are still lagging a long way behind the equivalent men's. 
And the bottom line is that just isn't fair, especially when you look at the results they're getting on the international stage. If you look at the Women's Sports Trust, 37.6 million women watched domestic women's sport in 2022. So I don't buy the lazy argument of people aren't interested in watching women's sport. There's some great presenters, there's some great journalists, and there's also some great male allies flying the flag for the cause. And after the Lionesses win, I think Ian Wright summed it up by saying, you know, whatever happens now, if girls are not allowed to play football, just like the boys can in PE, after this tournament, then what are we doing? So I want to see change on sponsorship, change on contracts. I want contracts that mean people can actually, one, that that professional sportswomen get contracts that are paid, but also that they are paid enough that they can live on, not just a, a sort of token one, that there's that we get closer and closer to parity with men's payment. We also don't want hand-me-down kit. We don't want to play on the substandard second, third or fourth pitch. And we need to keep pushing for equal pay, equal play and equality around facilities and funding. Absolutely. And one of the best clubs for me when it comes to the the parity is um, Lewis FC. They play semi-professional, they're they're sort of like in the lower league compared to like your Manchester United because they're the first club in the world to offer men and women the same pay, but as well yeah. to, to put in the same amount of resources into both of their teams. And I just think that that is so phenomenal. And I know that they are working really hard to prove that this as a business model really works as well. Because just like you said, that conversation of, oh, people are lazy or the, the qualities like this or or people aren't interested in women's sports, it, it, it's not true. And now that we're doing more research, now that more stakeholders are actually investing in, in, into research to find out the numbers, we know that that is simply not true. When you spoke about parity there, you just really reminded me of, of Lewis FC, because I think that what you just described is as well something that they subscribe to. Yeah, they are absolutely leading the way on that, certainly in terms of football. And and it will take time for, you know, one of Leah Williamson or anybody like that to match maybe Lionel Messi's salary. But um, but hopefully, slowly but surely, we're edging closer and closer. Absolutely. And speaking of Lewis and speaking of all these amazing improvements and trendsetters and these strides that are being made, there have been some that that have been made within the sports industry. But I'm I'm just curious, like what changes have you seen within the industry that have made you excited about the future of sports, but also the future of women's sports? I think there's more noise about it. I think that there are lots of big things, the big steps forward, where, for example, the rugby teams, um, certainly the English rugby teams and now the Welsh rugby teams are being paid. But there's the smaller micro changes that are making a difference too. So I'm thinking, for example, of the kit and things like the Norwegian beach handball team that took a stand for all of us, quite frankly, by refusing to wear ridiculous skimpy bikini bottoms when they play and wearing shorts instead. And they were fined. And I can't remember, I think it was somebody famous who offered to pay the fine for them. And eventually the International Handball Federation had to bow to pressure and change the rules. And that is, 
it seems small, but it's big. You know, if you if you're on a period or, or something like that and you've got to wear something really skimpy, the same with Wimbledon. Wimbledon has now just announced that tennis players, female tennis players, can now wear dark undershorts instead of all white, which, you know, if women feel comfortable in what they wear, they can really focus on their performance. We are seeing much more uh, in terms of televised and media coverage. Again, that needs to keep going, but that is a really important step forward. It's a vicious circle. You know, if, if you get the media coverage, that brings in the sponsors. You need that that exposure, that profile building to be able to do that. And maybe on the flip side, we've we've already spoken about the pay parity as, as something that really needs to be changed within the sports industry. But I'm wondering what other issues do you think like it's like enough is enough. This needs to change now when it comes to the sports industry. Sexism. Sexism has to stop. We had a few weeks ago, on the one hand, the Welsh Rugby Union saying, yeah, we're going to pay our women. And then a very short while afterwards, we heard about really stupid comments and misogyny and all that stuff that needs to change. The old boys club needs to change at our top level. You know, you need to earn your place. I remember years ago looking at a board role and saying, and this is a very typical thing for a woman saying, well, I'm not really sure. They're looking for these 10 things and I have six of them. I don't have the other four. So they won't want me probably. And a very experienced lady who had been the head of an airline said to me, Karen, have a look on that board. And within all those people there, do you seriously think that every single man has actually earned that place and has every single one of those 10 things that you think you need to put yourself forward? And I said, oh, no, because it was obvious that there was, you know, the old boys club was going strong. There was some very, as it transpired further down the line, there were a couple of people on that board that that had to leave for for various reasons. And so that has to change. That has to change. I think the other thing is that when, again, another, another example is that when there was something called the Davis Report, which was around boards, I can't remember if it was the FTSE 100 or the FTSE 250. And it was said that for good operational and financial reasons that women needed to make up a minimum of 30% of board roles. And so the FTSE said, okay, great, we'll, we'll do that. And they increased them. But so many of those people that were then taken on were non-exec directors. They weren't directors. They weren't, they didn't really have that much impact on the operational side or the smooth running of the business. And to me, that's lip service. And I think what we need to be really careful of is that we don't pay lip service, that we really have good women with power, not just on the softer skills, but on the tough stuff too. It's too they are out there and recruiters and clubs and organisations need to be bold and they need to demand this and they need to fish from a wider pool, both within their own organisations and outside maybe from other industries, maybe from other clubs, maybe from another sport. And I think that is really, really important. And that's a huge thing, isn't it, Karen? Because um, at the beginning of the of our session, 
you spoke about women in sports beyond the hashtag, which is our initiative here, Data Talks. And the most important pillar that we have is creating tangible value. And the whole reason we called it beyond the hashtag, it was because we were realizing that there was so much lip service, there was so much said when it comes to women's sports, for example, think about all the buzz that you get online and everyone talking about women's sports. But does that really translate to then money, to investment, to commercial success? Not always, you know, or if it does, it's not to, to the level that it could be. And I think that that's such an important thing that you you note when you say don't just have women there, but and they they don't really play much of a role because then just don't have them there because, frankly, they have better things to do than just to to sort of be fill up a quota, you know. So I think that's a very, very important thing that you, you that you mentioned. Yeah, I would add something else there as well. I think, you know, it's very easy to be a keyboard warrior. We can all do that. We can all sit in our little, you know, at our desks or on the sofa and be a keyboard warrior. But the difference is what are you going to do? What are you going to do to make change? And of course, we want these changes to happen in terms of sponsorship and contracts and coverage and media. But while we're waiting for the lobbyists and the governments and the sports organisations to do it, what are you right here, right now going to do in your world? What's your marginal gain, your day one step that you're going to take to move things forward? And I think the other thing is that it's very easy to be caught up in um, the the kind of saying everything that's wrong. But if you're going to talk about everything that's wrong, come up with at least three solutions to change it. Um, I can think of, again, a few years ago, I was I was chair of something and there was a big there was a big event on and it was a four day event. And there were probably, I don't know, 60 speakers over the four days, of which I think there were two women. And the press came to me and said, Karen, you know, what do you what do you think about this? Because I was representative of a of the female cohort within that industry. And I said, well, look, here's the thing. Do do I think it's great that there are only two women on this conference? No, of course I don't. But here's what we can do for you. We've just run something called something about um, boardroom and preparing women for the board. And we have as part of that, a speaking from stages element. And so if this organisation would like female speakers for this event, I can give them the name of at least 10 to 15 women who were confident, competent, know their area and could absolutely smash it. And we'd love to assist them to change that ratio and that dynamic. So I think let's not just sit sniping from the sidelines. Let's actually put something together that makes that change absolutely and then maybe this is the perfect opportunity then to give our listeners maybe like two or three practical tips that they things that they can do if they want to be to play their part in making the sports industry more inclusive I mean whether it's from a grassroots level or having more women in the boardroom how can they get started or support those who are actively working um, with this so we we have a couple of, of flagship programs. We have one which is Fund My Future, which is it does what it says on the tin. And so 
that I developed for people, for women who do want to get to the next level, but don't have the resource to get there. They have probably have a day job, so they're massively time committed already. And so rather than working extra hours or taking on that infamous coffee shop shift, let's develop a great sponsorship package. Get ready, get match fit and identify a short list and a long list of sponsors, push it out to them. And then I help them deliver it in a way that's going to benefit both the athlete and the sponsor. So as we devise this with a client, we do take a holistic view of their existing commitments and priorities. You know, it'd be easy for me to say, okay, you need to, you need to do this massively long sponsorship package and there's going to be huge commitment around experience sessions and speaker stuff and press and blah. They probably don't have time for that. So let's have a look at your life. Let's have a look at your working life, your family life, your sporting life. And then whatever we devise, we make sure that is that it is not going to overly commit you to a point where you're absolutely run ragged. And again, that impacts performance. Um, on an organisational level, let's make sure that these companies are looking at who they've got in-house and looking above the parapet to who's outside. And let's not make it a one-off, one-hit wonder. Let's make sure that there's a pipeline coming up through the ranks for the future as well. Karen, if people want to connect with you or check out your work, what can they check out and where can they check it out? We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Those are uh, our most most active and both of them are at Sporting Shiro's all one word and Shiro's with an E. Yeah. And I just want I, I know you mentioned um, some of the stuff that you did, but um, is there anything else that you want to specifically mention that they should check out? Um, they're very welcome to email me and I can send them the the programs uh, we've got we've also got a bio link so I can provide the details for that I've got a friend who so we this year we are going to be launching a new program as well which is it really straddles the sporting world and the business world because clearly all these disciplines that we learned in sport can help women who maybe don't want to be an athlete but know that they're not really getting to where they want to in their life, in their work, and in their, their physical fitness and mental fitness. So we're developing a program called Match Fit Me um, to help them get some balance, to help them have some accountability around their health and fitness. Most people don't need to be told that they need to do some exercise and they need to eat relatively healthily and they need to get some sleep. Sometimes it's the accountability and just Again, those marginal gains, those tweaking routines, tweaking what they do on a day to day basis that make make the results. Um, I've got a really good friend who talks about living above the line of life. So if you imagine a scale of one to 10 and you aim for a seven plus 90 percent of the time, when those curveballs come at you, you might drop to a five or six. But if you've built resilience through good habits and your physical and your mental well-being, you'll hopefully stay at at least a four or a five or a six rather than when the curveball comes dropping down to a one or a two. So Match Fit Me is for that. And that will be going live in the next month or so. So end of quarter one, beginning of quarter two of 2023. And I think also, you know, as I said, I, I love what Women in Sports Beyond the Hashtag is doing. 
And in the word of words of JLo, let's get loud. If we all do our bit, if we all make our marginal gains, then we'll fulfill that older adage of a rising tide really does lift all ships. Wow. That's a, that's a mic drop right there. Let's get loud. <laughs> <laughs> that is a mic drop moment right there. Um, Karen, I can't thank you enough for coming onto the podcast, but also for being part of our Women in Sports Beyond the Hashtag community. It is people like you that inspire me to keep doing what I do, inspire me to keep having these conversations, keep trying to find ways uh, to create tangible value for women in sports. So thank you very much for being such an inspiration. Oh, you're really welcome. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.sc and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.